You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Welcome to Season 2 of Another Name for Everything. Casual conversations with Richard Rohr, responding to listener questions from his new book, The Universal Christ, and Season 1 of this podcast. As mentioned previously, this podcast is recorded on the grounds of the Center for Action and Contemplation and may contain the quirky sounds of our neighborhood and setting. We are your hosts. I'm Paul Swanson. And I'm Bree Stoner. We're staff members of the Center for Action and Contemplation and students of this contemplative path, trying our best to live the wisdom of this tradition amidst feeling judged by other parents, locating band-aids for scraped knees and the shifting state of our world. This is the eighth of 12 weekly episodes. Today, we're tackling your questions on the theme of what we don't know, nerding out on science and theology, and having a conversation about miracles, signs, and wonders. So today we are combining a few different things, but one of them is the relationship between science and theology, and also the way that miracles, signs, and wonders have been a part of the Christian tradition for so long. So part of what we're hoping to do is to bridge the gap in this conversation and to see it from a holistic point of view. And we wanted to kick that off by going way out to the billions of galaxies. So Richard, this question comes from Jennifer from Brookville, Indiana. Richard, with there being 600 billion galaxies and the publication this week of the first image of a black hole, what might Christ be out there? It was Jesus here in human form, fully human and fully divine. Seriously, 600 billion galaxies? How can we possibly think, let alone believe, that we are the sole deposit of God's Christ? Mm. Thoughts, please. I would covet your insights. (laughs) That is well stated. Um, It's the absolute immensity of the universe that, you know, even the Psalms talked about, but had no ability to actually quantify the way we do now, that is forcing us to a re-imaging of God because we now realize we had pulled God into this one planet based on this one storyline. And you're used to me saying, but it makes the point, you know, dependent upon one sin committed between two rivers in the Middle East, that the presence of, of the divine in this universe uh, and, the, and the Christ could not be codependent upon one little mistake human beings made. We need a God at least as big as this universe and frankly much bigger. So uh, this is working out well uh, to give us a little humility. Uh, I don't know if she was emphasizing out there is that the problem or the concern uh maybe like um expanding our notions of christ beyond just our planet and our oh, cre- okay, you know well, creation understood as our world to include these yes, 600 yes. billion galaxies yeah. i mean i can't even understand right. that yeah, we can't we no, can't. we're not just the special galaxy we can't right. formulate thoughts of infinity or eternity but in fact that is one of the reasons I chose as the title, The Universal Christ, <laughs> that she got it. Mm-hmm. it. This is not talking about a savior of the planet Earth, <laughs> mm-hmm. but one who names and liberates 
the meaning, the direction, the purpose of the whole universe. And uh, it, it is mind-blowing. It doesn't lend itself to the little Sunday worship ceremonies that we've all become accustomed to. It really doesn't. Mm -hmm. And this is scary for clergy when now people are talking about the forest being their cathedral and the stars being their, mm -hmm. their spiritual world. They're not wrong in saying that. They really aren't, you know. Mm -hmm. But again, remember, we've always got to keep the microcosm connected with the macrocosm because mm -hmm. if or we're back to the scandal of the particular. So it is scandalous. If Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that he became incarnate on this, this planet? Why? Why? And of course, that doesn't preclude that there could have been incarnations on other planets. Right. And we probably presume that. Maybe that's at the heart of her question. Jesus was here in human form, but who knows what form presence took on other planets? You know, I often wonder if that's going to be the only thing that will humble our politics, our geopolitical fights mm. on this planet. If we would discover, oh my God, there's another one. Mm -hmm. And they're doing it maybe a lot better than we are. <laughs> Who knows? So she's making a good reflection. I think that's one of the things I love about science and all the things that science is bringing us now, both from um, pictures of black holes to quantum physics and quantum mechanics is it's opening us back up to what little, like how, oh, there's a bug on me. <laughs> Speaking, Christ in all things, Speaking but maybe, maybe just, maybe just not, not that bug. Um, <laughs> sorry, bug. Uh, but just uh, the, the sense of wonder, what little we know, it, how much it puts us back into Tonight. humility. Yes, yes. And, you know, we, we operate in our day to day like, oh, yeah, this table is solid. I am, you know, and we still have such an anthropocentric view of like a human centric view of reality that every now and again, when science um, corrects us with statements like these 600 billion galaxies, how can we not allow that to shift our orientation? to a posture of deep yeah. humility. How can we not? And I, I think I see that in the ways that there's this like wilderness church network that's happening where it's- Oh, really? It's yeah. churches that are, their sanctuary is outside, but they're doing the traditional mass or the, the their services in a, in, in a pilgrimage of a hike, but doing it with the altar being like a stump and, wow. and the, uh -huh. the homily being given in front of that altar and people collect mm. things to bring to the mm. altar. Mm. And there's something about that 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 humility of this is another sanctuary, this is another space yeah. where that microcosm is connected to that, mm -hmm. that, that macrocosm in very concrete ways by bridging mm -hmm. their religion with that. I also really like what you said, Richard, which is what you just brought up, Paul. The microcosm is an image of the macrocosm, mm, the macrocosm. which allows us a different way to interpret even our own spiritual tradition. It's a microcosm of a macrocosm story. Mm, and perfect. that creates That's like right. a greater sense of I can trust it at all levels of truth in a way or at multiple levels of truth while still accepting the larger view that 
there could be other planets. There could mm. be other stories. There are other stories on this planet. There's other traditions. I don't know. It just expands. It feels mm. like it's an expansive way. And as that first question says, in a certain sense, how could there not be? Right. Mm. <laughs> right. Uh, what is the egocentricity that, you know, compresses all of divine presence in our little world, mm -hmm. it seems. Yeah. So this is good humility for us. And good not knowing, which is probably symbolized in the macrocosm by black holes and mm. dark space or dark matter. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Which is most of the universe. <laughs> most is Isn't unknowability. Yeah. Yeah, wow. unknowability. By our um, criteria. Right. Right. Unknowability and potentiality. Like and I, potentiality. Something right. that I think when I link those two things together, not knowing isn't just about emptiness for the sake of emptiness or unknowing for the sake of emptiness. It's also for the sake of the potential of what yeah. can happen in that space. That's good. That's good. So John from Los Angeles, uh, California has a question. He says, in your book, you talk about Christ being materiality itself, beginning with the Big Bang. This begs the question, what is the difference in the universe and Christ? Are they synonyms? If so, is the universe the second person of the Trinity? I think John got the point <laughs> that the universe is the body of God. And as I love to say, what else could it be? <laughs> Did it come from some other source? It's the external reflection of the internal mystery and glory and beauty of God. And even taking it to... Yes, it's the second person of the Trinity in visible form. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, at least in medieval theology, where I was mostly educated, uh, you know, we were not allowed to, as I remember, uh, make any decision about is the universe eternal? We couldn't say yes and we couldn't say no, mm -hmm. which again left us in holy unknowability. Maybe was there one nanosecond, but then we're back in our notion of time. How do you have an eternal God without an eternal manifestation? Unless there was one second in which God thought about it and said, let's do it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Let there be light. <laughs> oh, it's so fun to, you know, tease out these the implications, the implications, the implications. Yeah. And John, I think you did it well. I have so many memories, Richard, of you just saying, what kind of God is this? <laughs> and I, I, what I love about that is it invites you into that wonder yeah. without having to, to jump this? to that conclusion. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So here's a question that I think is a, what kind of God is this type question? Okay. This is from Sebastian from Ipo Parak, Malaysia. Wow. And he asks, this question might sound naive, but please, I'm serious and it is a stumbling block for me. If all creation are connected in the love of God, and I do want to believe so, then what about the harmful bacteria and rodents like cockroaches, mosquitoes, flies, rats, etc.? Maybe the bugs on Bree's arm just a moment ago. <laughs> Should we just leave them as they are and let them play havoc in our lives? And if we try to getting rid of them, are we compromising on the way of the Christ? I'm eager to try to talk about this. I, I don't know that my answer will be adequate. 
I'm sure it won't. Um, but let's start with an underlying foundational misperception, which I share in. Our understanding of perfection, holiness, goodness, reality is the exclusion of imperfection. Get rid of it. Somehow, from the very beginning, it says, it seems, God puts in the equation the problem, the pushback, the difficulty, um, what we call, usually call evil. You know? It's in every case. I mean, the Bible is, and this has been one of our major problems in interpreting the Bible, that it's quite frankly filled with absolutely horrible passages <laughs> about killing and rape and gang rape. and I mean, they're all in there. Unless you know that the negative is allowed to create the true positive. Now, again, I'm not a scientist, but at my superficial level, I do know there are particles smaller than the electron, the proton, and the neutron. But, um, you know, if the proton, am I correct, is the positive charge? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the electron is the negative. Is that right? Yeah. Well, then, why did God create electrons? You know, damn it, get out of the atom. You're <laughs> uh, just, we've got to, we can't resolve this. Mm. If you look at all of our moral problems, social problems, com community problems, it's always about how can we eliminate what we perceive as the negative, the cockroach which survived the, the uh, planetary extinctions. Now, I guess he's asking a further question. Are we doing the wrong thing when we eliminate harmful bacteria? Mm -hmm. I just had, uh, you know, bronchitis. Is that a virus or bacteria? I don't know. Uh, but at any rate, I certainly went and got my medicine to kill those that bacteria, and now I'm very grateful. I have most of my voice back. And I suppose most of us in this room would kill cockroaches, mosquitoes, flies, and rats. He listed them very well. There are uh, absolutely consistent religions, like the Jains, who you've seen them in India wearing this mask, that they're even afraid of killing a bug with their mouth by inhalation. They are being consistent. Uh, but I, maybe we're the great compromisers <laughs> who say that uh, some evil, which we call evil, and it's not really evil, maybe just inconvenience, uh, we can eliminate for the sake of a greater good, not out of malice, I have learned, I hope this doesn't sound silly, but when I swat a fly, say sorry I had to do that. Uh, all I can believe in the great scheme of things, at this, if I did it maliciously, I don't think that would be so good. Because uh, this fly is not evil, it's just doing its fly thing. But uh, for the sake of what we perceive as a greater good, I'm writing a book here and I can't let you keep distracting me, sorry, you got to go. 
You know, this is what I'm trying to address in this small monograph I'm, I'm writing now. That I think Paul's idea of sin is not individual fault, but in fact, he's saying we all have to carry our universal complicity in evil. Mm. And when I swat a fly, I am owning my, at a very low level perhaps, my complicity in evil. I am not a perfect, pure person. If we would have named sin that way, as a recognizing of, we are trapped in a situation where we, Paul says this in Romans, where you cannot not sin. (laughs) You cannot not, we all do. Not only can we not avoid it, we're enjoying the fruits of it. (laughs) I mean, much of our American system and the rest of the world knows this, is based on deceit, oppression, lies, uh, keeping other countries at, at bay in various cruel ways. I just had a visitor this morning who just came back from the border. When she came uh, two days ago, there were 500 people coming across. They had taken away all their backpacks, all their shoes, So they literally have to come into this country. This land of the free, home of the brave, has to humiliate poor Hondurans in this way. And most of us, we don't know what to do about it, what we can do about it. So we are complicit right now. You and I are sitting here enjoying the fruits of these quasi-boundaries that allow us to live with a very high economy while poor people from Honduras who are carrying all their possessions on their backpack and even that is taken away from them. Uh, Forgive me, I had to get that in. It's just, uh, if I think about it too much, I just, I can't think. Yeah. It's just too absurd. That's the tragic situation, Mm. the tragic state of life. And all I think the gospel is asking us to do is can you at least know that and recognize that and stop seeking some moral worthiness or superiority? You are all complicit in evil, period. Mm. (laughs) I don't care what church you go to, uh, you're enjoying the fruits of evil. This, this damns us all, not in the usual way we use the word damn, but uh, the search for I'm not guilty, uh, always, we're all guilty. Again, Paul says all this. Just go back and read Romans. I think it's a, a genius insight. And of course, he's circling around it the way I do too. And that's why it's so hard to read Romans. It's just, where is he going with this? Uh, well, I think it's in this direction. Let me at least say it that way. Mm-hmm. That evil is everywhere. And what goodness is, is the ability to incorporate the negative. Mm-hmm. At least in your knowledge, hopefully in your heart. And, and whereas the religion I was raised in was eliminate the negative. Huh? As if we could. You know, uh, oh, it just it sent us on a road that was 
so self-serving. Uh, and then we Catholics added this little thing of private confession so I could go and confess my dirty thoughts <laughs> and think I had eliminated the negative. Mm. It just made the problem even more yeah. d uh, deniability, easier deniability. It seems like so much of the message of the universal Christ is about placing us back in deep connectivity to everything. Everything. So even the, com the complicity of the sin on one side and the interconnected belonging on the other side. Very good. That could allow us to see ourselves as related to the viruses, the cockroaches, the mm. in relationship with, um, which doesn't mean that we then allow a rat infestation to take yeah. over our mm -hmm. house, but it does it does change how we how we view ourselves in um, a great web of being, a great web of life. Very well said. Um, yes. And I, I really appreciate how science is continuing to educate us on on that. And one of the things that came to mind as you were speaking and with this question about bacteria is um, uh, the the insights that we've gained in the last 20 years on the microbiome of our intestinal oh, tract about yeah, how, good. how many different species of bacteria Are live in there. In our intestinal and it's tract. like, I mean, this is amazing. I think somebody needs to write a book called God in My Gut. Oh, because that's good. <laughs> like, that's good. When I discovered that, I mean, I was just like living in this state of shock, I think for weeks. And I read a book called Gut, which was amazing. And um, all of a sudden, I was just thinking about all these little teeny tiny species living inside of me and thinking, I'm a community. I'm a, I'm, I'm a community. I'm a we. Like, there's no I. Like, and realizing that the foods I was eating um, were imp was impacting them and that they were impacting mm. my cravings and that that impacts your brain function, your hormones. It's just, it is all interconnected. Yes, it yes, is yes. all a system. It's one of the best statements of it I've heard. Thank you. That's good. Because it's true. <laughs> and it's true everywhere. And the gut of a Hindu is the same way. And the gut of a Jew is the same way. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think this next question, um, you're already starting to tease out about our relationship to nature and how we think about uh, what ultimate victory could look like or ultimate fulfillment. Paul from Portland says, in nature, we do see a pattern where strong creatures are consuming weaker ones, black holes sucking in energy and living matter into permanent frozen stillness. And the current scientific prediction that the universe's endless expansion will end in a heat death and permanent separation. I think that's one of the many theories wow, going I on. I never heard that one. Well, I think, well, um, as always, like there's multiple theories, it's, right? It's but one, yeah. He says, one of the pillars of the evangelical worldview, which is his own worldview of origin, is that something fundamental needs to change in nature in order for good to have final victory. They hope for a second coming, an end of history after which the rules of the game, the nature of nature, will have changed. His question is, what, do we, are, what are we to do with this? Does something need to fundamentally change in nature for the way of God, love, relationship, goodness to have final reality? The only way I can understand the end of time, the second coming, the day of Yahweh, the second coming of Christ, is as a triumph of love. In other words, I think still at the very end, there will be evil, 
there will be cockroaches, there will be, uh, and the, you know, the, the first community I, I started in Cincinnati, the scripture I, I chose was uh, based on that last uh, chapter in the Bible, where the new Jerusalem, the new city, the new eon, descends from the heavens as a pure gift. It, it, we've been working for it here, but in the end, it comes, it's the final great act of grace. It is given as a gift. Uh, I think that's what the microcosmic moment of the resurrection is saying. Just know, all of these crucifixions are going to lead up to a grand resurrection given by God. Um, but does something fundamental change in nature? No, I think human nature will still be egocentric, probably will still have violence. I don't think that's going to go away. Uh, that doesn't mean we shouldn't work for it or in ourselves seek to overcome it. But, you know, both Jesus and Paul you, uh, use the metaphor of leaven, which is a very humble metaphor that they seem to say what was happening was God planting a yeast inside of creation, which is not, yes, it does influence the whole dough, but it isn't really the whole dough. <laughs> it just causes it to rise. So I think people of love, what we thought was coterminous with the church, and now we know it isn't, but that's uh, not really the point I'm trying to make, but we Christians have to be a little more humble. Now we know it's the mosque and the synagogue and the um, hospice care people. Uh, that these are the leaven. And they're not coterminous with the world. God is loving and transforming the whole world in spite of themselves, just as God has loved me in spite of myself and brought me to this moment where I can see it a little bit and thank someone for it and appreciate it. I, I said to a friend just yesterday, uh, no, it was early this morning, uh, when I was waking up somewhat groggy, and uh, I just said, how do people get up and get the courage to start another day if there's not some belief in a loving God or that this is all going somewhere, going somewhere good? Is, uh, if they don't, that the only purpose is to get rich, is to get drunk, is to have as much sex as possible, or, and that'll get you a few, it'll, it might even work for a number of years. But finally they have to wake up on a day, like even I woke up this morning, why am I doing all this? <laughs> Forgive me after you spent so many hours with me yesterday. It was a wonderful day, but you still have to start another day and mm -hmm. say, well, yeah. here it is again. Are making these recordings really going to make a bit of difference? Mm -hmm. um, and I finally was able to get to yes in my prayer. But I'll tell you, I, I had to fight some small no's mm -hmm. of cynicism, of doubt, 
of self-doubt. And, and I guess I just want to say that because I know I'm talking for all of you. <laughs> we all feel that. Yeah. And, and it feels like a black hole. It feels like a, a loss of faith. Uh, and it is in a way, but it's okay. <laughs> you know, black holes are apparently part of the deal. That reminds me, this, this past week, my daughter has said, why, why do you go to work? She's trying to understand that. And so I, I try yes. to, to explain, you know, like, well, I'm going to help people. I'm my own growth and hopefully supporting others in their growth. And she's just kind of like, I don't like. I just want daddy yeah, home. Why are you doing that? Like, it's like this constant battle, like of her just even trying to conceptualize work. Um, but even the way that you named it as like, we all need those charges of having a bigger story to be a part of. Because yeah. as she asked me that question, it helps reinforce my own understanding about why I am going to yeah. the center for yeah. action and contemplation every day. Yeah. And it helps reawaken me because she does ask that question mm. so often. That it's it's nice when someone can ask you, how are you being loving today? How are you going to participate in a way yes, that's going to help unfold is. the way of God? The leaven imagery is so helpful, as mm. is the salt. Is. The salt, salt, you know, because it's way, that way. which brings forth something, that which brings forth a flavor. I also think about how um, Teilhard de Chardin said, you know, Christ is inoculated into <laughs> into matter, this idea that we are also being inoculated, that we have the opportunity to influence where things go in that way. And I think lately, um, interestingly enough, speaking of relationality and connecting to the great web of life, in my prayer recently, uh, prayer practice, I've been um, infused with the sensation of praying with a community, oh, uh, you know, and that it, and addressing that devotional heart, not to a individual God person or Jesus person, but almost like feeling my devotion move into a connection to a community. Um, it's been really interesting because I think I think there's something about that that helps me in those moments that you're describing, Richard, of like. The drudgery of I, drudgery. How do I? Word. How do I do <laughs> another day of this thing called living that yeah. I am just of just email. sucking at <laughs> of email? Take another shower. <laughs> yeah. and put on clean oh clothes. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a. But there is something that I think when we're able to connect with our place in the greater fabric of things, that both allows us to relax, knowing that it's not just all on us, but also allows us to feel the movement and purpose mm. of being a part of something being bigger a part. that you're describing, Paul. Mm. So. It's the only way out of our radical egocentricity, mm. knowing I'm a part, that my putting one foot in front of the other might be in union with a lady in Cambodia who just lost her baby mm. yesterday. Ah. That gives it meaning. You know? So beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well said. And as we've been talking about the, the, the mundane aspects of life, we're going to kind of dip into okay. the Christian stories of, of miracles and how do those play into our current situations in today's world. So this question comes from Jared from Maryland. I believe that signs and wonders are absolutely not limited only to the Christian faith or any faith for that matter. But my experiences with these miraculous moments personally and I say this knowing full well that many have performed signs and wonders from a place of ego-driven chauvinism. But he's saying, I've always been from a heart 
and intention of love for my fellow sisters and brothers. Where do the prophetic signs and wonders fit in with the universal Christ? I'm going to come at it um, a little different way, but I hope a helpful way. It's just what comes to me this morning. Um, what the miracles of Jesus, the signs and wonders, the prophetic signs and wonders in the Hebrew scriptures too, are saying, give God grace. Let's just use the word grace instead of God. That grace can create room for exception. It is not an inexorable wheel of certitude, uh, of, of causality, leave wiggle room around everything for something more, something better, something good. Uh, now, when you first hear them, as we all have to, we like magic. You see this in our love of, uh, what are the novels everybody's reading? From? Game of Thrones. Well, yeah. uh, oh, you mean Harry Potter. Yeah, Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I haven't read one. I'm sorry. I'm sure. They must be wonderful. <laughs> but they do reflect this love of magical thinking. This love of magical thinking. Which is okay. I think it's sort of red level. But also our superheroes, you know? Yeah. There's so, much, so many superhero movies and Star Wars that mm. Paul Thompson is representing with his T-shirt today. <laughs> Look at him. This, <laughs> this, but I think you're right. You're intuiting that there's, some, there's a craving for... Or, craving for magic. Yeah. Uh, just an awe before magic. Because uh, it's breaking the laws of causality. Mm. What I call the inexorable wheel of certitude and definitiveness. Uh, it gives space. It gives freedom for otherness, for surprise, for uh, difference. And that's what I believe God is planting in history. Don't feel that your future is definite, certain, entrapped. Which is hopelessness. So, it's, this is saying it a little different than just, you know, the magic wand that makes the hand return or something like that. Uh, I know that'd be the first level understanding of most miracle stories. But why does Jesus say you're going to do greater things? I think he's talking about the kind of things you and I are lucky enough to be involved in, that we. Uh, we get letters and cards every day of people saying it changed my life. You know, it saved my life. I think I got two like that yesterday. I didn't change her life. I didn't save her life. But somehow maybe words I said or words I wrote, the, the, the two charges met. Uh, us placing the word out there and her readiness for it and she has changed. That's just true. You don't have to have a supernatural explanation. That's also the way things work, <laughs> also. Mm -hmm. So uh, the miracle stories are making room for also, for, for something more. Without it, to live in a world of absolute certitude is very deadening, it's very hopeless. Uh, 
and to hope that there could be a difference, a change, uh, makes you work for it, ironically. Mm. <laughs> and that's your wanting of it. And why would God give a gift to someone who didn't want it? Mm. <laughs> so we first got to be the wanting. And that's symbolized by Mary's let it be, you know. Uh, we, we always have to state our let it be. Uh, or I, I don't think it happens. Mm. Yeah. Well, one of the things that is so interesting about uh, a lot of the quantum physics stuff that's coming our way, this idea that reality is impacted by the observer, for instance. Uh, yes. Or, and I'm, I'm going to butcher this if you're a scientist, just forgive me for this. <laughs> but like, I do not know what I'm talking about. Um, but the, also the idea of emergence that, that in, 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 um, in the natural world, things can emerge out that have not previously been in. In other words, that they're not an ingredient that was pre-existent, mm. but that new things can emerge in this universe. Um, these are things that show us that what is possible is so much greater than our minds have rationalized away. You know, and I think about how much the enlightenment has made us obsessed with rationality. And right. that which we can see and that which we can touch and that which makes sense to our minds based on the philosophical frames that we've been given and that we're comfortable with, you know, it's no wonder that we're not uh, participating in or being, uh, or being witnesses of more signs and miracles. I think in some ways we're the ones limiting mm -hmm. what's possible by our, you know, with our own uh, views and paradigms. Yeah. That reminds me of the metaphor you were talking about yesterday, Richard, of the closed system. Yeah. Mm, and, mm. and not much can happen of, of new emergences or potential mm, in yes, a closed system. Yes, that does build nicely. In a closed system, what I was calling the inexorable wheel mm. of certitude. Mm. That's a closed system. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if I've, if I've said this on the, pod, the podcast before, forgive me, but you know that story of... Um, when Jesus is out walking on the water and Peter climbs out of the boat mm -hmm. and he starts to sink. And a friend of mine gave me kind of a, a Jewish midrash perspective on that, Whoa. where he said, notice that it, when, when, he, when Peter starts to sink, Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Did notice you doubt? that Peter would not have been doubting Jesus because Jesus is just fine on the water, standing on the water. What Peter is doubting is himself. Oh, his, yes. Oh, yes. His capacity oh, yes. to be yeah, as Jesus was or to live out a reality that didn't make sense, mm -hmm. that was beyond the lovely, laws of nature. Lovely. And so in some ways, I think so many of the, the healing stories of Jesus, he's saying your faith is healing you. Your capacity to believe in something that is not yet or that is not of this world and your capacity to believe that you're not limited by the stories, the narratives, the yeah. wounds you've been given is what heals you. There you go, there you go. Right. And you think about all these folks who come from hardship and trauma, where they start to believe it all, if they stay in that storyline, then they stay closed in some ways, right? We all know stories of folks who have almost like bought into an alternative way of being that mm -hmm. has allowed them to, to heal from those, those past oppressions and trauma to be an, an incredible contribution to a new way of being, right? It's more of an open system versus the closed family storyline mm -hmm. they were in. Mm -hmm. So to close out this um, exciting conversation on what little we know, both in science and in, in the miraculous, Rebecca from 
uh, Alabama asks us this question. I struggle because if God does not manipulate humanity by causing tragedies in order to teach lessons, then why would God manipulate in a positive way? She's referring to miracles. Um, however, there have been times and situations in my life that certainly seemed far more than coincidental or convenient. Mm. In other words, I think this is very subtle and nuanced. Mm, She's saying, is. if God isn't manipulating things in a negative way, why would God manipulate things in a positive way in, in the miraculous? The first thing that comes to mind is, is, is manipulate the wrong word in both mm. cases, you know. If grace is inherent to reality from the beginning, the seed planted inside of everything, then everything is, is programmed to move toward greater fecundity, greater expansion, greater goodness and life and truth and love. Uh, so when it doesn't move in that direction, but it moves toward tragedy, we're saying this is not grace at work now, this is, however, life and death cycle at work, which we can accept, I hope. It's still hard to accept. So the life and death cycle is at work, and planted in the middle of that is the seed of grace and everything that gives us the way out. But it's not manipulation in either case. Uh, we used to call it the God of the gaps. Mm. Uh, that, that is the only purpose of God to step in and cause tragedies and cause miracles. No, God is permanently engaged, always moving everything toward greater life, but here's the rub, through the pushback of death. That's why the, the Christ had to become uh, crucified in Jesus to say this is a part of the mystery of Trinity itself. There is self-emptying. There is, as Carl Jung isn't afraid to say, there's even a kind of darkness in God, or at least the acceptance of, of non-fecundity, non-success, non-fullness. That was always hard for us to accept because we said God is totally good. Yes, God is totally good, but God's goodness includes the ability to work with badness. Mm -hmm. right. That's the step we don't make. Yeah. And it is a difficult one. I like that you've said as well um, the humility and vulnerability of God that would choose yes. to empty God's self and yeah. participate in in this in this realm in in materiality which means submitting to the laws of nature and i guess in some ways one of the things i'm thinking about is uh if god is operating within the laws of nature that includes everything then maybe the miraculous is god showing us what little we know about the laws of nature that's good <laughs> you know I, that I it's that it's not outside that. it's yeah. not outside of of our reality it's uh, just more yeah. perhaps more deeply within it more fully within it than we know how to be. Oh. I like that. And I always love uh, when I go to feed my chickens every day, we have a compost pile. You know, we're, we're throwing our refuge, the things that have died, the plants. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden, sometimes things start to grow out of it or it will become soil <laughs> oh, that we will use to bring yeah. things to life. And another, it's, that's a miracle. It feels like a miracle to me in some ways, these natural wow. rhythms of, of, wow. of death and resurrection. 
Yeah. And it's life to the chickens. They're yeah. all excited yeah. about that orange rind. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I think in closing, there are there are so many miracles that we're yeah. we're witnessing. Um, and that's not just poetry. No, it's no. not. It's it, not just poetry. Just yeah. literally is miraculous. Yeah. We have a, a good friend of ours on staff who's about to become a dad, and his wife Brenna. Um, they just went to the doctor yesterday, and. Uh, the, she had been working and doing all these yoga positions and the baby's perfectly positioned and you just think about the miracle of birth. You think about wow. everything that needs to happen in a woman's body yeah. and everything that needs to happen with that baby and all the different steps and movements that need yes. to take place for a child to be born. I mean, it's just miraculous. Yeah, yeah. There's an hour show on that. It's something like 139 things I just pull them yeah, up yeah, yeah. that have to go right. Right, uh, right. And in proper sequence yeah. for a baby to be born. Yeah. And we don't have anything to do with it. Yeah. We're just waiting for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if so that's maybe, not miracle, my goodness. Right. right. The poet Rolka says something like, um, if, you, if you can't find something to write about, don't blame your world, blame the poet. You know, some I'm I'm butchering it, but it's something along the lines of we're the ones yeah. who need to fo foster the kind of presence that can see these miracles mm. um, and be witnesses to them. Uh, so, in in that vein, Richard, um, have you uh, where have you experienced or when have you experienced in the past week one of those moments of oh my God, this is this is miraculous. I'm back to my nature shows again. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have your own nature show pretty soon. <laughs> Make it the roar channel of nature shows. <laughs> uh, they have these herds of wildebeest in Kenya. Just seemed like hundreds of thousands as far as the eye could see, you know. And uh, then one little wildebeest stops and gives birth. And all those steps that I was saying in the human, 139 is the number I picked, apparently it would be the same in this little baby wildebeest. That God would care enough, program the world well enough that that little thing would be born. It's not very pretty, but Mama's all excited about it when she's licking it. Uh, it just... It's mind-blowing, yeah. um, mind-blowing. Uh, who And Jesus seems to be saying the same thing when he talks about, uh, you know, the, the robin that falls and God knows about it. Yeah. Uh, that every creature is somehow contained within this divine bounty, this divine mystery, and, and it, the, the loss of it is never apparently a tragedy to God because he's going to reshape it in new form. Because i got to continue the nature story. After I was sitting there in awe, a lioness comes. She's licking this little... A lioness comes and grabs the baby wildebeest. It lived not even two minutes. Oh, I just want to turn off the television. It's just... And I had to accept both the beauty of the first minute and the inevitability of the second. And I wondered, what a mother wildebeest think? <laughs> what did she go through? I don't know. We'll never know 
until eternity somehow. What is this mystery of loss and renewal? Loss and mm-hmm. renewal. And you know, by the way, I'm finding that for many people, those two words, loss and renewal, are more helpful than death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Because death and resurrection have been so spiritualized. And we just think they apply to Jesus. But loss and renewal applies to a wildebeest too. Thank you, Richard. And that's it for today's episode of Another Name for Everything with Richard Rohr. This podcast is produced by the Center for Action and Contemplation. Thanks to the generosity of our donors. The beautiful music you're listening to is provided by Bird Talker. If you're enjoying this podcast, consider rating it, writing a review, or sharing it with a friend to help create a bigger and more inclusive community. To learn more about Father Richard and to receive his free daily meditations in your electronic mailbox, visit cac.org. To learn more about the themes of the Universal Christ, visit universalchrist.org. From the high desert of New Mexico, We wish you peace and every good. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.